in three, two, one. Confidence is an underrated superpower that can enhance every aspect of job performance, from communication to closing sales. Not protecting that confidence in hard times, grief, or self-perceived failure can be devastating. Here to talk about how to process rejection and build confidence is my guest, Alyssa McMasters. Well, hi, Alyssa. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Now, where are we talking to you from today? Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Yeah, it's my hometown too up in Canada. So uh, we have Phoenix and Calgary. Phoenix in the wintertime for obvious reasons. And Calgary, but we raised all our family up in Calgary and love Calgary. So uh, good people, good part of the world. So if you haven't been, make sure you come visit Alberta. I'm excited to have you in the program today, A, for your topic, but because I know you're a real advocate for it and you're a good evangelist for building confidence within individuals and organizations and confidence is important. And we're going to talk about how neutrality can be your new approach to confidence building and how to process and make friends with rejection, which I thought was really interesting. So I want to talk about some of your work, but before we get there, let's give a little background. How did Alyssa get to where she is today? What made you choose confidence as, Hey, I'm going to be a speaker. And I know you speak to organizations and you do coaching and you have workshops. How did you get here? Yeah. So of course, my name is Alyssa and I am a millennial. And many of my friends and coworkers were terrified of rejection. They were terrified of being told no in the workplace. They were terrified of being told no by partners or even friends. And what happened is I went into a car dealership to purchase a car. And I walked into my preferred card salesman and I said, listen, I need to buy this car. This is exactly what I want, how much I want to spend. This is exactly how much I want my monthly payments to be. I don't know how you're going to figure it out, but why don't you take it away? Go with your manager, figure it out for me. And then I'll leave today with the car. He comes back and has everything laid out for me. And he says, okay, Alyssa, I got everything you wanted. We don't even have to worry about it. But how are you so confident? You're young. You are a mid-sized woman. I'm a size like 14, 16, which makes a difference with a lot of people who are struggling with their confidence and body weight. He's like, how do you get so confident? How are you able to come in here? And can you teach my daughters? And can you teach my team? And I looked him in the eyes and I said, you know what? Yeah, I think I can. So that's how I got started with the confidence coaching and training. So my whole life, people have told me, why are you so confident? How are you so confident? I want to be like you. So I took those concepts and I took those comments and I started making a course was my first, my first offering. And I made a course 21 days to your inner confidence, which was all about body image, all about being a woman, all about being in sales and all about being a mom. And in the first hundred days, I had a hundred women take this course. And it was really cool to see the changes over those hundred, those 21 days of how the confidence can just change by just changing our concept of reality just a little bit, just by being a little bit kinder to ourselves. And once I had that happen, things started spiraling and skyrocketing into the business side of things. So that's kind of how I got where I am. Well, you found a great niche and it's something everyone suffers with, regardless of the generational age. I'm a baby boomer, but we still have confidence issues. They're with you your whole life. It's really about managing it, isn't it? So when that fear pops up, uh, you build confidence. And we'll talk about the building blocks of that. You mentioned, though, as you started speaking, that your friends were terrified. They're terrified of this or they're terrified. Why is that, do you suppose? Now, you're a millennial, so you're 30 something, but every generation has that to some degree. And we see it all the time. Where does that come from? 
I mean, they're raised in an environment where as baby boomers, we wanted everything for our kids. We wanted you to go to soccer, go play hockey, do sports, go skiing, get active. You had cell phones. We never had any of that stuff. We always had the paper routes and go get jobs, right? We didn't have the technology. We didn't have phones. That just didn't exist. So you had to go do it and deal with it. So why the different generations? Why is there that lack of confidence in the first place, do you think? I think the biggest thing, and I see this with a lot of people that I work with, it's our conditioning. So often it has nothing to do with what we actually think about ourselves. It's those little voices that we've heard from our parents, from our teachers, that bully in high school, maybe that coach who told you weren't good enough. It's these little things that we hear from different people that continue to add to our conditioning of who we think we should be. And often with that conditioning, we forget who we actually are and we forget the actual power that we have in ourselves. Whether you're a mechanic or a speaker or a teacher or a stay-at-home mom, we forget what our power is because other sources have come in and told us what we should be and what we shouldn't be. So what I do is break down those conditionings. And when we can do that, that's when we can see real confidence. But I think that's in a general sense in all the generations is that conditioning comes in and your things were different than my conditions. My conditions right. were be cool on social media. You get a phone very early. Make sure you're hiding different things from your parents because they don't understand technology. The conditioning comes in for different things, but I think all generations, that's what we have. The issue of confidence comes from those conditionings that are not us. Yeah. And you're bombarded even as a woman. I know it's the same for men too, but I think it's more, we see it more with women. Look at a women's magazine and you see a picture of beautiful women and how you're supposed to look. If you look on a men's magazine, you see beautiful women and how they're supposed to look. Right. So you're bombarded with what that imagery is. I always remember there was an ad campaign a number of years ago. I don't know if you recall with Jamie Lee Curtis. She's just in her underwear and a bra, right? With her figure and shape, no makeup and everything. And I she loved it. Oh, she's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's really like attitude shapes a lot of things. So somebody in New York and Madison Avenue is saying, this is how you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to look. And there's some real power when you actually just go, screw it. I'm just going to be me and share that, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing that I remember is that when it comes to our body image, when we look at those pictures and especially on social media, now we have it all day, every day. Right. Those models don't look like those models, right? No. And I think it's important to understand that, again, with body image, everybody is deserving of respect, regardless of what it looks like. And we are told that our body is not good enough from, again, those conditionings. When we actually sit with ourselves and take away all those conditionings, which, again, are tools that I teach in my speech and my workshops, we take away those conditionings, we can look at our body and be like, wow look what my body did for me. Look what my body can do. Look what my body, my stomach it can ingest these amazing, amazing dishes. My womb can give me a son. My arms can lift so much heavy, beautiful things. We can do such amazing things with our body. And we are always so focused on what it looks like because our conditioning and people around us have told us what it should look like. But when we right. take the conditioning away, we can really sit with our body and be so thankful and see it for what it is, which is something amazing. Do you see that more with the different genders? Like as a man, I've had those feelings mm -hmm. and we have them. You look in the mirror and you go, oh man, gravity's kicking my butt, right? Is it more prone to be with women than it is men just because of the expectations? No, I think, here's the thing is I think from a lot of like the media, I think that women get it harder with their body image. But on the other side, and I know that a lot of people that I work with, especially teachers, they see a lot of eating disorders, like a mm. wide amount with men right now and with young boys. So I think it, it's hard to 
say that women have it harder. I think in different situations, women do have a different expectation of them, but men have it hard too. And men also have never been able to, in our society, because of the conditioning, have never been able to really share their emotions. So they hide it in a little bit more. So I think it definitely affects all genders, whether you're a man, woman, or you're non-binary. It affects all different genders. And I think it's important to be able to, again, take away those conditionings and look at your body for what it is and learn how to love your body regardless of what it looks like. Right. Well, I've always thought when Leonardo DiCaprio made the dad bod famous a few years ago, I just went, okay, good. It's our time. Exactly. Yeah. Dad buds. Here we go. But attitude makes up a lot for that too. And we'll talk about the building blocks of that, but you started out teaching confidence for at-risk girls and women, and you quickly discovered the need for the kind of training in the workplace setting. What areas need that confidence boost the most in your opinion? In my opinion, it is those teen girls, those teen girls and teen boys, which I'm really realizing right now, it's those teens who are starting to build those things. Could you imagine if you were given tools to feel confident when you were 12, 13? I always think about what would that look like? What would my life look like if I was able to look at myself and look at my body at 13, 14 and say, yeah, that's okay. That's a tough age too. But I also see women and new moms who are feeling so guilty about so many different things and they don't have the confidence to feel okay with their decisions. And then I also see it in the workplace with women and men, especially in sales. I've been in sales for 10 years before I started speaking. So in that sales, I find it that people are really afraid of, again, that rejection. They're really afraid of the what if. What if I do something and it doesn't work out? What if the grass is greener on the other side? So we're afraid to really sit in our own confidence because again, of these conditionings, but I think it's all different generations, but I see just different things. And I think that confidence or that lack of confidence carries with us through our entire lives until we really look at ourselves and and start learning how to build that because it is a skill. Well, it is. And we all deal with different issues. As we were talking earlier, as we were prepping for the show, where you're youthful looking, I have that in common with you. When I started my career, people thought I was, you know, like, are you old enough to be here in the room? And so that affects our confidence. With yeah. Then you get into that middle age where you're going, okay, I'm really confident. Then you get to be older and you're thinking, well, great. Now I'm the oldest guy in the room. How's that impacting me? And so the key is the formula or changing that conditioning right across the board, because we have people who are in their eighties are still working hard and having great time doing it, like forget retirement. And so it does make a difference. Why is it a good idea from a business perspective to invest in the confidence of your employees? What I have seen is that confidence translates directly to sales and really? it translates directly to bottom line. So imagine if you have a new employee coming in, they have everything they need to be a good sales employee. They have the gusto, they have the ability to talk to people, they have the ability to really create a cool pipeline, but they have a pipeline and then they're just not quite closing the deals. And you get down to the bottom of it and they say things like, well, maybe next quarter or, well, that client, this wasn't a good client. I hear those things a lot. So when we can take that back and think, no, not next quarter, what's holding me back from right now? Or not, that was a bad client. What can I do differently to feel more confident in asking for the sale on that first call in asking for the sale on the second call? And when we see that, we do see direct sales and direct revenue increase. You think there's two sides to a coin here where let's say that you have issues you have to deal with. Okay, so because we do judge books by their cover. Yep. So whatever those issues are, it could be body size or shape or just any particular variable. When you meet somebody, maybe we judge books by their cover and we tend to do that. That's normal human nature. We just yeah. immediately draw that. So let's assume that the initial 
reaction or reference to that person is negative, that can be overcome again with the confidence, can't it? So Very if you know so. you know that that's an issue, then it's about overcoming that. Well, how do I come that? Because I've met people who you looked at them and they were beautiful and then they opened their mouths and it was like, okay, stop talking because you're adding no value to this conversation. Then I met people who have issues. If we were to call them issues or they would perceive them as issues and they were after five minutes talking to them, they're beautiful, beautiful human beings. And all of a sudden that's no longer an issue. Those physical attributes are no longer a problem because at the end of the day, mother nature is going to win out on all of us, right? You can Botox up, you can do your fillers, everything you want to do. But at the end of the day, mother nature is going to win this battle. You're just delaying the inevitable when we're old, we're all going to be old. So I think it's good that you're approaching this way. Let's talk about what scares people most. And it's really about rejection. We've all been there and it can be painful, whether it's personal or professional, and it can hold us back in many ways. But what can you say to make friends with rejection? Tell me about that. I mean, you teach that, that you can actually make friends with rejection. Yeah. Let's go, let's go there. So back to kind of what you're talking about too, is that sometimes we don't have the physical part, or sometimes we don't think that we have enough experience or we don't think we have enough of something. But my approach to confidence is it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks on the outside. It matters what you think. So even if somebody looks at you and rolls their eyes and they're like, oh my gosh, she's so not smart. It's the ability to look inside and be like, yeah, I don't really care what they say. People will say that will say the most attractive quality about somebody. All of my friends, everything I watch online, like confidence, confidence is number one attractiveness, but it's true. And that comes completely from inner and it doesn't come from those external things. So when making friends with rejection, it's understanding that the rejection that we get externally has nothing to do with us internally and often has to do with other people's problems. Sometimes it'll have to do with ours too. And we have to be self-aware enough to be able to be like, ooh, yeah, that was not a very good sales call and kind of laugh at it. But being able to look at it from the internal perspective and be like, do I feel good about this? Do I like who I am? Do I feel this? And not care about those external factors is how we can start processing and making friends with rejection. So when somebody looks at us and says, whether it's in a sales call and they're like, yeah, listen, we're not going to go with your products. You think, okay. I understand. And again, obviously there's more details to sales as well as like getting the good discovery calls and making sure that we're really getting questions. But on the side of, let's say we did everything right and the client still said no, it can hurt us. The interesting part is the same parts in our brain that fire when we feel literal pain, fire when we face rejection, which is why it feels so scary. That's interesting. Right. So people think that, oh, well, oh, I just feel so bad about rejection. It's because our bodies are literally firing the same part in our brain that fire when we are in actual pain. And here's the reason. Evolution is great. But back in the day, if we were rejected by our group, we would die. And our brains haven't quite caught up to that yet. So when we feel that feeling of rejection, our brains are like, I might I might literally die because I don't have that group, which is why our bodies and our minds are acting the way that they do when they have rejection. So it's not a bad thing that you get rejection and you're like, oof. The hard part is that you keep it away and you don't face it head on, which means that instead of taking two minutes to kind of just shake it off, be like, the rejection is okay. I'm allowed to have rejection. And here are the tools to focus on healing that rejection. When we sit and we just say, oh, I'm rejected. And that's just how it is. And we don't go for the next sale. We don't go for the next ask out for a date. That's when the issue comes in. So yeah, the issue is not the issue of feeling rejection in the first place. It's about prolonging us from trying again. Yeah. So it's welcoming. It's making a friend, embracing the rejection and then just channeling into a strength because it's never personal. They don't know you. 
No, so it's not personal. It just never is personal, no matter what. And at the end of the day, it's a filter. But I know for myself, I remember when I was in high school, we went around for a fundraiser selling almonds, chocolate covered almonds, knock on door. And people would say yes or no. It just say, no, thanks. Not for me. Then I started selling encyclopedias when I was in college. And these were back when we actually had book encyclopedias. Well, you get a lot of no's with that. And then I realized people just don't even know me. I'm never going to see them again. And then in college, then I was never an athlete or jock. But if I liked to grow and I wanted to ask around, I'd ask around. And lots of times they said no. And I was okay with that. It was like, I just keep going. But sometimes they said yes. And if you don't ask, you don't get that. There's an old adage, when you lose something, you've been spared. And I think that's true even in this case. If you're dealing with somebody and they're still judging you by whether it's the shape of your body or who you are as an individual, do you really want the approval of this person? And as a millennial, I'm curious about that because there's so much pressure on you, like your social media, where you're on vacation, what kind of car are you driving, the image, right? And building that. Mm -hmm. And you address all of those things in your workshops and in your work? I do. I do. Especially when I work with women-specific workshops or teen-specific workshops, that's when I really dive into that social media part. I talk about boundary setting as well, which is really important part of confidence is being able to say no to other people and feel okay about that. Right. Uh, but yes, when we talk about social media, we talk about the judgment. It's really important to understand that often, again, it has nothing to do with us. Like you said, if somebody says no, we don't want them in our lives anyways. We don't want to fight for something that doesn't want us. And that's okay. Right. And it's really important to remember those things when we're facing those rejections, especially even on social media. Some kids I know have worked with, they feel intense rejection when somebody unfollows them. So how do we start processing that rejection, feeling that rejection, but then being able to move on with our lives and understand that it has nothing to do with us. And remember yeah. that most people don't even really know what we're doing. People don't care about us the same way that we care about us. We sometimes forget that. We sometimes forget that when we do something silly or we do something that is really embarrassing, we're probably going to remember it forever. And we're going to be in the shower one day and be like, oh, remember that moment? But yeah. And when we can start processing that people don't care about us the way that we care about us, it's a lot more freeing and able to release that rejection, knowing that it really has nothing to do with us. Right. And it's really almost not rejection. It's just their issues. And if it's you just their it, issues, exactly. it's just their issues. Well, as a speaker, it happens in our business. We get holds. Companies phone up and they put a hold on a date and they might be evaluating other speakers. And all of a sudden you get a notice from them or from your agent going, they've chosen to go somewhere else. And we're like, I was perfect for this. What happened? And then I'm going, is there anything more I could have done? And if there's nothing more I could have done, then I let it go, move on. And hey, maybe next year. And everyone has their own, what they like. Otherwise, if we all like the same flavor of ice cream, that'd be the end of it, right? So it'd be simple. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Alyssa McMasters. We've all heard about body positivity, but what is body neutrality? 
Michael, neutrality is my favorite thing that I use for everything. And I think people really need to understand what the concept is. Body confidence is not about looking at self in the mirror and thinking every day, oh my gosh, I love everything. Because all of us have those moments where we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, I don't really love this. I don't really love this part about me. I want to change this. So it's not looking at yourself every day and saying, I love myself. And I found a problem with a lot of um, social media that I follow of the self-love and body love, where they're just like, it's not that hard. Just love everything. But it is that hard sometimes. Those days we wake up and we don't feel great. So when we feel really good about our bodies and we're like, feel really good in a new outfit or someone gives us a nice compliment, it's easier to feel confident. But how do we act when we don't get any of that external validation? Or we look in the mirror and we're like, I don't like what I see. Introducing neutrality. So the concept of neutrality is just being able to love ourselves 10% more. So not having to be like 100%, but what does 10% look like? Let's take give an example. Let's say I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I really don't love my tummy today. It's really a lot. I can change that 10% kinder is I have a tummy. It's neutral. It isn't good. It isn't bad. It's neutral. Mm. And when we can start working on that, and I call it like the ladder, so you can continue climbing this ladder, is then what's 10% kinder than that? I have a tummy that fuels my body. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And then we start increasing that neutrality. So instead of being like loving everything that we see, we just are 10% kinder. And when we're 10% kinder every day, think about what that looks like in 365 days. Start building. 650%. Yeah. So it's about building rather than loving everything. How do we build in a really approachable way? And neutrality is the way that I do this. And I do this in the body confidence with teens. And I also do this in sales. So when you're told no, you're told, yeah, no, I hate everything you're offering and I don't want to work with you. Okay. That's a a big can of worms. We feel that rejection. Okay. And you think I'm worthless. I'm so bad at my job. What is 10% kinder? I have a job. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What is 10% kinder than that? I have all the skills that I need for this job. So when we start building that neutrality, we can build on it just like we build on anything. It's building the skills because it doesn't happen overnight. It's an interesting perspective. And I was wondering how you applied it. So it's kind of like in hockey. You're a Canadian woman. Yeah. Uh, hockey's in our DNA up here <laughs> in Canada. One of the things we measure against hockey players plus or minus and the way that that works. If you're on the ice and your team scores and you're on the ice, you get a, let's call it a plus one. Yeah. If you are scored against, you get a minus one. So the key is obviously to be a positive so that you're, you're part of that team effort. And so if you're minus three, you're probably having a bad night at the rink. But if you get it up to zero or neutral position, or you get into a plus one, it starts to spiral the other way. And when we see a team that's positive, it makes all the difference in the world. So the key is to defense first, and then we move into an offense as we go. So I think that fits, that metaphor fits perfectly for what it it does. And when we talk about the neutrality part of it is that we always overestimate what we can do in a day. We pack our schedule. We think we can like get everything done and we can't. But then we underestimate what we do in a year, like thinking a year ago, what you were able to accomplish. It's kind of the same concept as well, is that, That's interesting. that when we start building, like if you try it one day to look at yourself and say, I love everything, it's probably not going to work. But if we just build 10% every single day, that's when we can really see real change. Yeah. Small increments of improvement. Good sense. Yeah. Is confidence something you have to practice to get good at? And if so, what are some of the things you can do on a regular basis to keep your confidence sharp and in shape? Yes. I am a firm believer that confidence, some people have it more naturally. Like some people just have a little bit more natural confidence, but I do believe that anybody can build confidence. And I think it treat it like a muscle. It's like working out. So you go to the gym, you want to build your biceps. So you're starting to do bicep curls and then maybe you get biceps and you're like, Hey, sick. I'm there. 
and I feel confident. I have what I want, but can you stop when you're working out or will those muscles just dissipate? Right. Same thing. You got to keep it going. You got to keep it going. You got to keep it going. So you build it and then you keep it going to maintain that confidence. But some of the things, some of the favorite things that I do is I want you to, if you're listening to this and you're interested in doing a tool, I want you to think about one of those limiting beliefs that you have. And those limiting beliefs are what I call those little voices in your head that, like, you know, aren't you? And it's probably the conditioning that's making you feel this way. Let's say, example, I mean, a limiting belief is. I am not confident enough to have a good meeting. I'm not going to have a good meeting today. Let's say that limiting belief that I'm not good enough for that client. Then I want you to take that lie or that intrusive thought that comes in. And I want you to write three truths that go against that lie, things that you can actually believe. So let's again, take that example of I'm not good enough for this client. That's the lie. The truth could be, I have all the skills that I need. Number two, I am good at dealing with clients of all different areas. And number three, I have a proven track record that I'm able to focus on this client. So when we're able to, and then maybe let's do another example of body image. We say, okay, I am ugly. I have a gross body. And I've heard that lots from myself and other people. Let's take that limiting belief and let's turn it into three truths. I have a body that is able to do really cool things. I am beautiful in many different ways. I am more than capable of loving myself. I have everything I need to love myself. Right. So when we kind of take those limiting beliefs and we trade them to those three truths, that's when I can see some really big difference in a lot of people that I work with is just being able to take those thoughts that come up, realize that they're just that thoughts, and then turning them into more of a truthful thing that make you feel better. And these things aren't lies. They're not things that you're telling yourself like, I can fly. I'm an, I'm an absolute superhero. Right, right. These are real things that are true and that you can believe. So when we start doing that, as we continue to do that, say every morning, then it gets easier to see everything else around the day. I think about this way too, the glimmers in our life. We look around and we can see those moments where we're just like, wow, I'm awesome. That was cool. I look really cool in this outfit. I was really kind to that person. That person was like, we had a really good conversation. I I killed it. I got that one. Yeah. Yeah. I killed it. I want you to focus on those glimmers because when you start seeing those glimmers, you'll see more and more glimmers throughout your day. When often our minds are trained to focus on the negatives, but we can also train our minds and train our bodies to focus on the positives too. But again, those positives don't have to be toxic. We don't always have to be positive. We're allowed to have bad days too. And when we have those bad days, we can just be neutral. Yeah, just be honest with it and try and get it into a neutral spot. No, that makes sense. It's almost like confidence is a muscle and it requires stretching and exercise. And then, as you said, it needs maintaining. In other words, to get to the point of confidence versus maintaining the level of confidence are two different things. And you don't have to put the same effort in once you're there. It's it's about nurturing. It's keeping the lawn nice and green, free of weeds, right? When it comes in. Let's talk, low confidence often comes from our conditioning and adolescence and pressure to fit in. We have to look a certain way, wear the right clothes, have the right branding logos. We compare. What advice would you have for parents and teachers for helping build the confidence of the next generation? I think the number one thing that I see with a lot of, again, teens, they tell me that they're afraid to tell their parents things. They tell me that, well, I'm afraid to tell them what I like to do because maybe they'll make fun of me. I'm afraid to tell them about the boy or the girl that I like because I'm afraid that they they won't approve. Right. The fear that comes in is a lot of the conditioning of a lot of these teens that I see. They're afraid of things. And not just what their parents, but they're afraid of what their teachers are going to think, what their friends are going to think. So as a parent, if you're able to look at your kid and say, hey, 
I love you no matter what happens and just come to me and tell me things and I will help work it out with you. And with a no judgment zone, I think that's a really important thing because a lot of kids are really afraid of that judgment from their parents. And then that judgment again, turns into the lack of confidence about various things about their life. Let's say an example. I hear a lot of teens tell me about body image and they're telling us some of the things that their parents say, like, well, you should only have one plate of food or that's going to go straight to your thighs because our generations were conditioned that skinny equals popular, skinny equals cool. Now it's just no longer the case anymore. We're now, nice. our society is a lot more open to different body types, different genders. So it's really- I love that. I love that too, by the way. Me too. Yeah. When you start seeing, let's call them full-figured women or yeah. men and performing or doing what they do and they're so talented, you don't see it anymore, which is good. Genetics goes a long way. If you're, that, that's a huge part of it. And you're fighting an uphill battle and you're perfect just the way you are. And speaking of that, women in particular can be judged on appearances in the workplace. We tend to do that. What's being done or can be done to shift the focus to work performance rather than appearances? That's a really good question. And that's a question that I think everybody's right now kind of trying to figure out is because right. outside of the workplace, everything is starting. We're starting to get to the point where everybody is welcome, all bodies, all genders, people are welcome. But in the workplace, it can be hard because the people making decisions might not be in that same path. So there's a lot of different women run businesses. I'm a coach in one of them that helps women in tech get jobs, feel more confident. And they partner with different companies around the world to help women get into those spaces. Because at the end of the day, I think we need people to understand that when we have a diverse teams, we also have diverse perspectives, which equals innovation, right? If we have a whole bunch of middle-aged white dudes, we're not going to get much. Middle-aged straight white dudes. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of those conditionings and a lot of those pathways and a lot of those experiences are kind of the same. So when we have a whole bunch of diverse people in a group, that's when we can really have super creative ideas. And we see that with a lot of the really big companies, the ones that we that we yeah. look at, the Googles, the Apples, the over here, a lot of the tech companies, Calvary being really big in tech, is they put diversity first because they see how important it is, not just for us in like a socioeconomic sense, but actually right. in a business sense, it really adds to the bottom line. So I think it's changing everybody's perspective and bringing on a lot of those male allies who also see that. So instead of saying women only, where are the male allies who want to help us succeed? Yeah. I think that's a really important part too. So I think that is a mixture of giving women a bunch of really cool access to confidence coaching, to career coaching, but also having those male allies who are going to bring them into the workplace. No, it, what you say is accurate. I remember in Y2K, I had a major Canadian bank. They actually hired our organization to train their executives. They wanted 50-50 male-female executive teams. So they were promoting a lot of women who hadn't got there yet or because of that glass ceiling that had been typically mm -hmm. restricted by men and the system. So our job was to go in and give them the tools to help them. I'm talking 23 years ago. And so it's been a focus there. And with DEI being a big thing with companies today, we know the ROI on DEI is huge. And as a straight white male, baby boomer, we're the problem. My generation's the problem. We've just created a lot of those issues. And so it's becoming allies. And there's a lot of men who are allies of women, but we need to be more vocal about it. We can't just sit back and go, let somebody else deal with this one. We need to be the ones to do that. Very much. Yeah. Women are using today, and I'm using women as an example. It works for men too, because they're under pressure, but it's not the same, I feel anyway. But women are using more artificial enhancements these days from fillers and Botox to uh, filters on social media. And some can argue that these things enhance the confidence, while others might say it's contributing to an unrealistic standard of what we think is beautiful. So I'm curious to know, what's your take on that? There's two takes to this, I think, two sides. I'm a firm believer that if you want to go get fillers, you want to go get a nose job, you want to get every 
everything done, you go for it. If you have that money, you do whatever feels good sure. for you. Yeah. I'm also on the side that, especially with teen girls, with those filters, that if we're hiding it and we're pretending to what we look like, that can be really, really problematic for ourselves as well. I know a lot of people are now looking for plastic surgeons to make their face into a filter that they see on Instagram, wow. right? Which is really, which is a really interesting. Very. It's not just about seeing other people. It's about seeing yourself and what that can do to your internal confidence of so seeing yourself look like something else. But those filters, like they make you look pretty, pretty good in terms of the conditioning of society. But I think what the most important part is that sometimes we don't realize that when we do fix our face or we do get a bunch of fillers and Botox and we get all these things is that we still are going to strive for more confidence. When we get more filler, that's when we be more confident. When we get more Botox, that's when we more confident. And I think that can be the slippery slope of we just continue to do things externally to fix our internal confidence. And that's not the kind of process. So I'm a firm believer. If you want to go do it, have the most fun. And I have many friends who love to do it and that's great. But on the other side, be super honest about it and really honest about, first of all, externally to other people, but secondly, be all to yourself. Why are you getting this done? Are you getting this done because it's going to make you feel good? Or are you getting this done because you think it's going to fix a problem? So I promise you, it's not going to fix the problem. Yeah, that's really great advice. You're not fixing the problem. You're masking the problem. I agree with you. It's about enhancing as we get older. I've had my teeth whitened just because as you get older, they tend to age. And also you get those white. You go to the dentist. If I had a broken tooth, I'm going to go fix it, you know, or gray hair. I've got some gray showing up in my beard and hair. Some people will color it. It's like we were talking earlier, you know, about Jamie Lee Curtis. She just lets it go and it can look phenomenal on men and women, right? So again, it's doing it for the right reason. So enhancing, adjusting, if the house needs a little remodeling, go ahead and remodel. If it needs a paint job, go with a paint job and you can do a lot. But at the end of the day, to your point, I think the distinction then is how you feel about it. If you're trying to change or you're a problem that needs fixing, that's worth looking at versus just accenting something, right? Or because it really is an accent. Like when you do it, if you have beautiful eyes and a beautiful smile by putting on a little foundation and highlighting the eyes, they look amazing just in our world, the way we do that. So those are achievable things. I do have a friend, we were at a restaurant and this girl comes up and she goes, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. I want to look like you. And my friend looks right at her and she's like, 25K, that's all it takes. I think being like super (laughs) honest and open about it is really important. Right. And you have to be confident with yourself. But at the end of the day, it's the confidence that creates that feeling with people. So if you're your skin wrinkling, I always say I got a six pack, you can count them on my forehead. <laughs> it's it's still the confidence. For me, it was my uniform. So as a speaker, if I went on with jeans and a shirt, I just didn't feel have my uniform on. When I put my suit on, the uniform I'm going on stage, my confidence enhanced. Right mm-hmm. now, I don't wear a suit anymore. I haven't worn a suit in probably seven years. And it hasn't impacted because it's more internal. It's more Isn't that interesting. Yeah. yeah it, it is interesting because it was the uniform. It was the trigger, right? So we do yeah. it not just with surgical procedure. We do it with clothing, the cars we drive. I was very image oriented, had to have the BMWs, all the toys, all the things. I want you to like me, all right, for what I have, for what I look like, my appearance and all of those things. And as you get a little older, you're going, you know what? I really don't. It doesn't matter. You know, like the question is, not. do you like yourself with that? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's getting to that point. And I think for men, it's losing their hair. We have a status and then thank goodness for guys like Jason Stratham and the the Rock. They they made bald look great, right? And oh, yeah. now you're like, you can look badass and look bald, you know, so that, that works. So the other way people get confidence is many people attach confidence to their achievements. For example, hey, when I get that promotion, I'll be more confident. Or when I buy a house, I'll be more confident. You know, I'll have confidence. How do we get away from that type of 
when then thinking. And I think it's interesting because I, I, when you say when I get a car is the same thing to me as when I get Botox, it's the same kind of premise. And I think we see it in so many different areas and it's not just our body image or our achievements. It's kind of everything is we always think when, when, but I think it's really important to sit down and think about what do I have right now that makes me different from other people? What do I have right now that makes me really like myself? What do I have right now? Because there's always going to be a win. There's always going to be more. But if you're not happy with where you are right now and you can't find the glimmers in where you are right now, even when you have that house and that car and trophies, then you're still going to have those questions about, okay, well then. So I think really focusing on those glimmers, really focusing on what you have today and what you have to offer is so important and not focusing on the external because the grass, again, isn't always greater. I think it boils it all down to that is that what's going on inside you there. I know when you're 16 and 17 year old boy, I can only speak from that perspective. It's I am my hair. So back in my day, mullets were the thing. So it was like, oh, I am my hair. Right. And I had a good mullet going. And then when you're 19 or 20, it's like, I am my car. And I get mm -hmm. my identity by a car. And because we driving around, oh, you got a cool car. You're cool. You're that. I am my girlfriend or I am my wife. I am my job. I am my, whatever my title is. And they form their identities around external things. And what you've said loud and clear is it's really all internal. And once you get that internal, the external things just don't matter much. It actually makes you more attractive. I think we become more attractive when we don't care. And Very people much. will go, oh yeah, that's confident. Why is it hard to accept a compliment. How do we get better at that? The compliment is very interesting because we've been conditioned, especially I think your generation had it really hard, whereas confidence equals ego. It was bad being able to like, like say, oh, thank you so much for that compliment. It equaled that you were a bad person, that you thought that you were better than everybody. Whereas I think it's with compliments, when we are able to accept them from other people, then we're able to accept them from ourselves and vice versa. So when we're able to accept a compliment from ourselves, it's easier to accept from another person. So we give ourselves compliments in the morning, which could be also known as affirmations or kind of if you have another word that you use for that. I like affirmations or compliments. Looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I am cool. I am such a good friend. I am an amazing employee. When we're able to make those compliments to ourselves, when somebody else says it, we're like, yeah, I am. And there's nothing wrong with someone saying, hey, Alyssa, you look beautiful today. Saying thank you. But it can make people very, very uncomfortable is when we say thank you to a compliment because they're just not used to it. People sometimes can be taken aback, but again, that's none of our business. No. If somebody says a compliment and then we say thank you and they're just like, oh, well, I don't really care what your external validation to me is. Thank you for the compliment, but I already believe that. So thank you. It's interesting you say that. And as a speaker, you'll find this because in your career, you may have already discovered this. When people will come up to you after an engagement, go, you are amazing. You were the best thing since sliced bread. I learned so much for that. And we say, oh, thank you. They're projecting. You just are speaking to the choir when you talk to them. When they come up and say, you suck. That was the worst presentation I've ever seen. And you have no future as a speaker. I say, thank you. And I don't believe them because they're projecting. All right. It's exactly. always where they're at. And you have a good insight on that. It takes years to get to that point to be who you are. And I love our younger generation and your generation for embracing that and really igniting that because my generation is getting past all the false imagery. It's getting past all the false perceptions, changing those perspectives we have of ourselves and let you be who you are. And that's rich. That's what makes the fabric rich versus all looking the same. Our culture is shifting and we're still seeing old white guys trying to make policy in North America and the US. We see it down here in the politics. They don't want to be inclusive. They want it to be, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what's acceptable. And we're not welcoming whatever your gender is, what you look like. And it's still 
hell of a fight and it's a fight we got to keep fighting. And I'm glad that you're there to keep spreading that torch. So tell Absolutely. us what, what you're working on. I know you have a program. Your motto is decondition how we're supposed to act and open up to the space to become who we're supposed to be. And you do that through your coursework and you have a course entitled, Let Me Introduce Yourself or Let Me Introduce Me to Yourself. Talk about it. What do you got coming up? Yeah. So right now I have a lot of workshops. I do them a lot in person in Calgary, but I also have them virtual for all the people who are not in Calgary, right. as well as I'm working with sales teams specifically to help increase the confidence of their sales teams, both in workshops and larger speeches. It's been really, really cool to transition from the body image to the sales and see that a lot of the principles still work the same way. So I do a lot of that workshops as well as one-on-one -on -one coaching for that kind of body image and women's side of things, and then group coaching and workshops and speeches for the corporate clients. So that's what I'm working on. So if you're interested and you like what I had to say, you know who to call. That's it. Well, we'll put all that information in the show notes. This was absolutely a treat. You're way ahead of yourself in the sense that you're miles ahead down that road. And I'm excited for you because I think you've got a good, bright future. So it's Alyssa McMasters and all things confidence, how to build confidence for your teams. We'll have, again, all that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Lots of great insights and you got a lot of wisdom and we appreciate you being out there sharing your message. Thanks so much, Michael. That was great. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.